Welcome to the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. I'm Sean Aylmer. It's been a massive week for the Australian economy and an even bigger week for the economists trying to make sense of it all. Big rate rises overseas, inflation fears sending markets tumbling, a big jump in the minimum wage, a sharp drop in consumer confidence and dire predictions for the housing market. Then yesterday we had the May Labor Force data. More than 60,000 people found jobs, mostly, in fact all of those, were full-time jobs, keeping the unemployment rate steady at a 48-year low of just 3.9%. Carlos Cacho is the Chief Economist at Jardin Australia. Carlos, welcome back to Fear and Greed. Thanks for having me, Sean. So you're enjoying yourself, Carlos, at the moment. Look, there's certainly no shortage of issues and stories to look at at the moment across the economy. So it's, it's definitely an interesting time and, and plenty to keep us busy. You have been an economist for a while. Is this the most volatile time that you presided over? Presided is probably the wrong word, but you know, you've, you've analysed. Definitely since at least the beginning of COVID, that was a pretty volatile time as well. But if you are, if you, if you look past that, then I think so. You know, we've, we haven't seen anything like this. The uncertainty in the data, the volatility in the data, the changes in central bank guidance. We've got to remember, if we go back just six months ago, I think only a handful of people were talking about rate hikes even occurring this year, let alone by May in, in the same month as an election. So the story has changed very, very quickly and the data is, um, is moving even faster. Well, even six months ago, the Reserve Bank was saying 2024 and probably the middle of 2024, we're in the middle of 2022 and we've already had big rate hikes. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't look like they're going to let up anytime soon if Phil Lowe's recent interview is anything to go by. Okay, so let's get on into some of the data. The labour force data that was out yesterday, a big jump in full-time jobs, an unemployment rate of 3.9%, and that's because the participation rate picked up so much. So we've got record low unemployment, or at least 50-year low unemployment. We've got record high participation, pretty strong market, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, you know, probably a little bit disappointing that we didn't see the unemployment rate fall, but it was for the right reasons. As you said, that that growth in full-time work is very positive. That also led to a fall in the underutilisation rate. So the number right. of people who were who were, would like to work more, that fell to the lowest since the 1980s, so even below where it was in the GFC. And the participation rate is at a record high. So we're, we're drawing more people into the labour market, which is a real positive from kind of an, an economic and potential growth perspective. But, you know, what we're probably going to see with this with this super hot labour market is some more wage growth picking up. And, you know, I think the fair work decision from earlier this week is a sign of what's to come there. Okay, so let's get into that. The fair work said that the minimum wage would rise by 5.2%. The minimum award wage is up 4.6%, which is actually, that has a far greater coverage of the workforce. What does that mean for wage growth and then interest rates? Yeah, the the fair work decision is is pretty meaningful. I think the key number to really look at is that four point six percent, as you as you mentioned, that covers many more workers directly. Twenty percent of the workforce is on award wages. Indirectly, there's another ten percent of workers whose wage agreements reference the award wage, so will wow. be impacted. So you have close to a third of the the workforce is is going to be impacted and see a weighted average um, increase of about four point seven percent. That's going to directly increase total wages across the economy by around point. So on its own, that's already enough to see us get back to 3% wages growth by the end of the year, if nothing else changed. 
On top of that, we're likely to see more upward pressure on individual arrangements. What we're hearing from businesses is that shortages of labour are the biggest issue, and it's not uncommon to hear stories of wage rises of 10 20%, sometimes even more in some sectors, to, to hire new workers. And we're also seeing more pressure on enterprise bargaining agreements, with the unions in particular using the higher inflation and higher minimum wage increase this year to bargain for, for greater wages for their constituents. So we've seen that with the financial sector union pushing for, for a larger wage rise from Westpac for a 6% wage increase. And, um, you know, pointing to such a large minimum wage increase certainly you know, adds more weight to the argument. In terms of how we see overall wages playing out, we do expect they're going to accelerate quite strongly through the year. We see them finishing the year at about 3.7%, which would be uh, the highest in about a decade or so, and certainly something that the RBA has has long wanted to achieve. The risk is, though, with these large wage rises, particularly on, on the minimum wage, is that it is going to add more cost pressure to businesses, and it may force some businesses to increase prices further. And so the risk is you do actually add more inflationary pressure to the economy at a time Time when inflation is already running red hot. Okay, so for all us mortgage holders, what's it mean for rates? They're going up, and the, you know I think they're they're going up quite a bit more. So we saw last week the RBA surprised the market with a, a fifty basis point or 05 percent increase. Uh, we are expecting that in July and August the RBA will follow up with two more half percent increases, and by the end of the year the cash rate will be around about two and a half percent. That's going to increase mortgage repayments for the average mortgage holder by around 30 to 40%. Uh, so it is a, a very significant step up in repayments. But many people, you know, have pretty decent buffers. They're, they're a fair bit ahead on repayments. We know from data from the banks and the RBA that about a third of borrowers are two years or more ahead in repayments. So, so a lot of people won't feel it too bad, but there will be certainly plenty of people at the margin who purchased recently who will be feeling a pinch. I think you're just calling me marginal there, Carlos. Is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, Sean. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Depends when you jumped in. <laughs> yeah, the wrong time. What's this? How does this flow through to house prices? And I know you put out a note in the past couple of days about the peak to trough fall in house prices, particularly Sydney and Melbourne. Just explain what you think will happen there. Yeah, so the, the way we think about house prices, is the key driver is debt. It's how much you can borrow from the bank. And the, the two drivers of the, that borrowing power are income and interest rates. And roughly my rule of thumb is 1% increase in interest rates reduces your borrowing power by about 10%, all else equal. And so what we're expecting, once we take into account the, the impact of rate hikes, as well as some income growth coming through with that acceleration of wages, is that we're probably going to see house prices fall about 15 to 20% across Australia. We're expecting that to be quite a, a sharp, short fall, um, you know, probably starting to see the market stabilise and recover by the second half of next year. But you know, we're, we're probably looking for, for larger falls in Sydney and Melbourne. It's hard to tell exactly how much, but we've already started to see the market soften there. And you know, I think you only have to, to look at some of the the price discounts that are starting to flow through the online real estate portals or see the you know the monthly data from CoreLogic which showed a 1% fall in Sydney um, last month whereas the national figure was down only 0.1%. So we're certainly seeing those markets soften up quite quickly. Okay. Does this just bring us back to trend line? Because we had such a jump in house prices during the COVID pandemic. Does this just take us back to where we would have been? Um, it's, it's hard to tell. There's trends in house prices are, are not particularly consistent because it's also driven by rates. But look, to put it in perspective, that takes us back to roughly where we were around the end of 2020, beginning of 2021. So it doesn't send us back you know, five years or anything. It, it just kind of undoes some of that, that increase in prices that we had over the last year, when, or the last two years when the RBA 
cut to 0.1% and we could all, you know, get a fixed rate for, for 2% and thought the RBA was going to hold rates till 2024. So it sends us back a bit, but it's still a lot of people who have a lot of equity. And if you, you look at the banks, their books are in very good health because of that. The average loan-to-value ratio across their books is around 40% now. So there's a lot of equity back in the housing market. Stay with me, Carlos. We'll be back in a minute. I'm speaking to Carlos Cacho, Chief Economist at Jardin Australia. Okay, so if we put all this together, what does it mean for the Australian economy? We know we have rising interest rates, but we have people with jobs. How do you, you know, you put that into the mix master. Do we get to a point where the growth rate slows enough to go into recession? Do you think that we actually just sort of slow that growth rate? What happens the next couple of years in Australia? It's hard to tell, probably harder than ever. But I think in our view, we're definitely going to see a slowdown. I think by the end of this year, we're going to be seeing quite a slowdown in particularly areas like discretionary consumption as households have to tighten their belts. There's a lot of cost of living pressure. There's interest rates going up. I think people are going to pull back on some of those discretionary spending areas, particularly things like household goods, furniture, electronics that have been uh, such hot areas during the pandemic. That's probably going to flow through to some some modest softening in the labour market. We do expect the unemployment rate to drift up into the low fours over next year. But underlying that, there's there's still a lot of positives. Business investment is still looking very positive from the surveys we, we, we analyse. The mining sector is obviously absolutely booming. Australia's position as a you know global commodities exporter across both hard and soft commodities as well as energy is placing us very well as a nation to, to kind of, I think, get through this period better than many other developed countries. And the government is still, you know, the government policy is still quite accommodative. So I think there's a lot of positives there. In our view, we're not going to, I'm not calling for a recession yet, but we're definitely going to see a slow down next year. We are expecting that slowdown is going to be enough that the RBA does actually start easing and, and cutting rates in the second half of next year. And that's going to put a bit of a floor under the housing market and, and support things a bit so that by the end of next year, we're seeing we're seeing a bit of an improving outlook. What is it for, for we lay people that we should be looking at? Are, are we hoping that inflation starts to show signs of having peaked and coming back down? Is that kind of the, the key? Yeah, really, it's it's all about inflation at the moment, both here and in the US. That's that's what central bankers are, are watching. That the Fed told us early this week that they want to see a couple of consecutive prints of of slowing month on month inflation. In Australia, we don't get monthly inflation; we only get quarterly inflation. But but in all likelihood, it's probably going to remain very strong for the next two or three quarters. You can't escape the news stories around surging energy prices at the moment. That's going to be a big challenge in the September quarter. And so, um, you know, the latest view from the RBA, as we heard from Phil Lowe early this week is that inflation is going to peak around 7% towards the end of this year, but then it should ease back. One of the key things, I guess, you know, to watch for there is what happens with global supply chains, shipping costs, delays in shipping and, and getting parts and goods into Australia has been a key contributor to higher inflation. And so if we see some of those global supply chain issues ease back, we could see um, some of these inflationary pressures ease as well into next year. Just quickly, the US, they, the Federal Reserve uh, lifted interest rates there this week by 75 basis points. As you said, central banks around the world look to the US central bank and to the US inflation. Do you think they've done enough to get inflation in control in the world's largest economy? 
Look, I think I think in the US, uh, still more is going to need to be done. If you look at the latest inflation data, there's still a very strong rise in um, in core services inflation. So the way I think about inflation in the US is there's two drivers. You've got the supply chain driven goods inflation, which was very strong early on in the as inflation picked up. That's starting to ease now, but instead you're having services inflation really pick up, and that's driven much more by labour costs, by wages, things like fast food and restaurant workers getting paid more, so restaurants have to put up their their prices hairdressers, uh, you know, having to put out their prices, those sorts of things. And that's much more persistent and it's harder to get control of. So um, in the US, really what they what we need to start seeing there is probably the labour market beginning to soften a bit. And if anything, maybe unemployment start to, to lift a little bit to take some of the heat out of the, the market and to, to see some of that wages pressure dissipate. They've, they've had much stronger wages than we have. And it's really um, beginning to, to flow through to prices quite dramatically. Carlos, you've got one of the most interesting gigs around at the moment, I reckon. It's, uh, it's certainly interesting, challenging as well, but there's there's no shortage of interesting stories to dig into and data to look at at the moment. Certainly a, a very different story to what it was like three or four years ago. Thank you for taking the time then, Carlos, for talking to us here at Fearing Greed. Thanks for having me, Sean. That was Carlos Cacho, Chief Economist at Jardin Australia. This is the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. Remember, you should get professional advice before making any investment decisions. Join us every morning for the full episode of Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Sean Elmer. Enjoy your day.